Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk all things Super Bowl, plus my good friend Dr. Curtis Sarter is going to come into the studio and talk a little bit about what this month means to him. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined as usually by Brian Pry. <laughs> a solid week now. Yeah, when he's uh, not gallivanting in Mexico or on a cruise or something fancy pants like that. Cruise? I've literally he's... never been on a cruise in my life. Well, I'm just saying in general. Like less, like, when is the Common Good cruise happening? Don't. Oh, it's happening. I don't want that. I do. You do? Sure. All right. Let us know if you want to go on a Brian Fromm cruise. No, no, no. The Common Good cruise. No, I the don't. The two of us. Let the record show. I'm not rubber stamping a Common Good cruise. I'm ru- just a kayak down the Disappointed <laughs> River. Nope. I have, the, I have the rubber stamp out and ready to go. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> you can have the Common. I'll have the Good. There you go. You go on the Common cruise, which is not the... Are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Plus, we are podcasted quite literally wherever it is you get podcasts, and uh, any interaction there whatsoever does help us out a whole lot. Any sharing, any subscribing, any rating, any reviewing, all of that helps. Even bad reviews, I think, still help. Yeah. But we, please don't. <laughs> they make us feel please, badly, please but don't do I that. think they help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So many of you know, probably most of you, yesterday was the Super Bowl. Brian, did you watch? I watched every minute of it. It actually is always, this is just my bubble of a world because yeah. I'm a big sports guy. I'm always amazed when they talk about the number of people who don't watch the Super Bowl. I'm like, right. what are you doing? But I suppose <laughs> that is a large contingent of people. But you, Especially with the beautiful weather yesterday. Oh, so you you think it's surprising that people don't watch it? No. I, I know they don't. But when they're like, oh, you know, 50% of households were watching the Super Bowl, I'm like, what were the other 50% watching? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Because in my world, everybody's watching the Super Bowl is, what, uh, I'm, is okay. what I'm saying. But you didn't really particularly care about either of the teams. Though. No, but I would never have missed the Super Bowl. That's all I'm saying. And I I'd, get it. I, I get that. You, you don't watch World Cup, do you? I do. I, want, I don't watch soccer, but when the World Cup comes around, I'll watch okay. big events like that. Okay, so for you, it's like I'm just a sports guy, much more than people, most people out there. Well, and we might have time to get to it, but uh, one of the articles that I, I pulled from uh, Rutherford Institute is the Super Bowl's biggest losers, the boys and girls being sold for sex 20 times a day. That's yeah. just something that we actually talked a little bit about last week leading up to the Super Bowl. We'll post it even if we don't get to it because... That's an important thing to be mindful of. But there were a couple of the things that stood out. Uh, it was a good game. It was a better fourth quarter than it was, it was a game. game. But yep. It was a good game overall. A um, couple of highlights that maybe maybe we'll get to. But I, I want to talk about some of the commercials because you can't really talk Super Bowl and not talk commercials. Right. But I also want to talk halftime show. Mm-hmm. We uh, we posted this on the Facebook page and just asked people's thoughts. They Brian, had thoughts. Did people give <laughs> us their thoughts? Yes. It's uh, pretty remarkable, though, because especially on a page like this, some people were... Um, you know, we're claiming some some moral, ethical reasons for why they hated it and loved it. Yes. And there's been some 
comments even back and forth between people. So let's, I mean, let's first say, let's keep it civil, everybody. But it's amazing to kind of just read down it. Some people were like, um, I liked it and thought it was awful. Other people thought it was just too much, too mm-hmm. seductive to other people were like, can't you appreciate good art? Like it, it has been remarkable just to see how people have responded to something yep. that I don't know that I, we've talked about the Super Bowl halftime. Did we talk about this last year? We've had the show mm. for a year now. Yeah, what was it last year? Maroon 5? I, d- I doubt it. Oh, but, yeah, right. You know, for me, the Super Bowl halftime show, and, uh, you know, I, I, I actually had this thought, like, am I becoming that old guy now? But, like, it just felt like a really weird juxtaposition for me to have some really quality commercials about uh, building up and empowering women. Like, I believe that was, like, the first commercial of the night. I'm sitting there with my daughters and my son, and I'm like, okay, and my wife. And, and it's like... You you feel like proud that there are these commercials like trying to build up women, trying to build up girls. It it just felt like then a weird juxtaposition to have J Lo on a on a on a pole and Shakira doing what Shakira does. But I get it. Like that's their thi- that's uh, it cheapens its sense their thing. That's like if you went to their concert, that's what it would be. So it, that's just. But I felt uncomfortable by it. Like I was sitting next to my son, being like, "Should I be letting him watch this?" Or and so it just felt a, w- it felt like a miss to me. Even though like that's J Lo, that's Shakira, they did their thing. They were good. Like it was a good show. It was energetic. It was Miami. It was all this stuff. It just felt like a weird juxtaposition for me again. So I don't think it was the scandal of all scandals, but I did yeah. feel like it was weird and a bit of a miss because of the other message that's trying to be. Uh, trying to be portrayed. John Acuff, you know, who's always says it funny. He's like, that felt like the fastest turn going from going from pole dance, like a, like a J-Lo on a pole to the kids singing in front of her. Like that yeah, felt like right. a really, I think a lot of people felt that like, wow, that was kind of a whiplash. Yeah. Kurt Reamer on our page said, I didn't care for it. It's unnecessary to have such risque clothing. Ellick Bramlett said, I thought the lip syncing was terrible and the choreography of the horn section was an abomination. Uh, but Becky Kong said, two incredible performers. I loved it. Um, Lon said, whatever cultural or social statements there were seemed drowned out by sexuality. Yeah. Alyssa Jones said, way too much. Uh, Elizabeth Kwan said, she loved it. Such an expression of vibrant love of Latina culture, which I, for one, didn't fully understand because my focus has always been on Asia. Um, uh, Rosemary Massingale said, I know this is not the popular answer, but I love that it. Don't remember this backlash when Adam Levine was showing off his body a couple of years ago. I think it was last year. Tina Bryant said she loved the show. Uh, these are two amazingly talented women. Paula Mason said, great singing, bad outfits, very inappropriate. Um, even mentioned some of the camera angles. A lot of people kind of commenting on like, I thought it was like a family show. Yeah. Was I think the- that's how I felt. Like the, the music itself, energetic. It was good. Like it was, uh, it was a good show. The, it, just gets taken away from it felt over sexualized and mm. and i as in the moment i felt that i was like am i just getting old like am i that guy now but i think having kids sitting with me was a was a good lens to watch it through it just i don't know i it, it happens every year though yeah. right it happens each halftime show except for the year after janet jackson when i think they brought out like yeah, right. <laughs> a bunch of old guys to come and sing yeah right <laughs> right well, that I mean, obviously, and you can still comment on our Facebook page. We'd love to know what you think. The uh, the comments are super interesting, and I think does show kind of what our heartbeat of the show is. Like, all right, can we can we find some common ground here, even though maybe there's a lot of stuff that we disagree with. But I, I want to end sharing this uh, clip. I think the yeah. winner of all the commercials was this Google commercial. And uh, rather than set it up, I'm just going to let you listen to it maybe for the first time or again, because in a lot of ways, I know I realize this is Google. Uh, I just found it to be really moving. Hey, 
Hey, Google, show me photos of me and Loretta. <laughs> Remember, Loretta hated my mustache. <laughs> Remember, Loretta loved going to Alaska and scallops. Show me photos from our anniversary. Remember, she always snorted when she laughed. Play our favorite movie. Remember, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I, I'll be honest, and that uh, that still hits me in the feels. I mean, that just... It was weird because all the commercials, most of them are just funny, right? Like a lot of laugh. And then that one happened, them, right? and even my kids got kind of quiet. Like it was like this. Did they really? You felt like a heaviness to it. Yeah. That was just poignant. It, I think poignant was the right word. And so I thought there were a lot of great commercials last night. Usually I'm not a big Super Bowl commercial guy. Yeah. I had a lot of them where I laughed or I had those moments. I thought they did a good job with them last night. Yeah. And I think it's a, uh, a good example, again, realizing it's Google. Yes. So you and I have Now there's going to be things on our searches because right. we said Google. Talk, right. And I, listen, <laughs> it doesn't need us to say Google for there to be things on our search. Yes. Brian, not at all. But true. I thought it was an example, though, of good storytelling and a concept that has this sort of like universal appeal because it is usually funny, outrageous. Yes. That, that tends to be kind of the tone. And for whatever reason, that commercial kind of cut through. So we'd love to know what you thought. What are some of your favorite moments from the Super Bowl, favorite commercials, favorite uh, feedback from the halftime show or, or anything else? I think in general, it's interesting to me, like you said, uh, it is this one weird moment still where all of America kind of comes Absolutely. together. And sometimes it can be unifying. Other times it can be divisive. But uh, either way, that's kind of the heartbeat of the show. I'd love to hear what you think. Well, coming up next, Dr. Curtis Sarter from Judson University, who is also, he's a number of things, a professor, uh, an educator, but he is also the uh, Officer of Diversity at Judson University. And I wanted to come and I might have him come in and kind of pick his brain a little bit about some of what uh, he's passionate about. So that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you find podcasts, quality or otherwise, we'll let you be the judge. <laughs> they are. Not. Yeah, they exist, but uh, no comment on the quality. But uh, if you are a podcast or any liking or subscribing, that does really help us out a whole lot. And Brian and I say this often, we enjoy conversation between the two of us, but our favorite part of the show is to have guests, especially mm -hmm. guests in studio. And so, Dr. Salter, thank, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. You've been on it's the exciting. show one time uh, via the phone a year ago, more than that a year ago. That is true. Yes. I, I think that was our that. first week, actually. I remember this interview. That was good. <laughs> about that? Yes. You're right. You're right. So this has yes. been a long time coming. And uh, just by way of introduction, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. And you can be as personal or professional, as long-winded <laughs> as you like. How would you introduce yourself to our Common Good audience? Well, first, I'm glad that you invited me back, even though it's we did pleasure. a telephone interview some time ago. 
So um, I'll give you the short version. I'm a child of God. Mm. I love the Lord. And uh, I came by way of diversity Mm. from Atlanta, Georgia, Mm. to uh, Judson University. I serve there now as the Associate Vice President for Diversity and Spiritual Development. And I didn't come in that role initially. I came as a uh, chair of the architecture department. We're going through accreditation. We're one of the few schools that's at a faith-based university that offers the profession of architecture. Oh, wow. So I came to help the school get accredited. I uh, didn't know anything about Elgin other than uh, they used to make watches. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Elgin watches. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it was a big deal. Okay. Yep. So I had no idea about um, what type of environment I was coming into. <laughs> But I knew that it was an environment that really acknowledged Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and wanted to develop men and women that would serve in the profession of architecture. So when I came, uh, they interviewed me and they interviewed my wife. And I came with my son. And that's unusual hmm. in academia. Yeah. And they wanted to know about my relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and her relationship and my son. So we were so impressed with that. Wow. So part of my identity, who I am, is you know, wrapped up in that as well. Yeah. So talk to me about uh, the Office of Diversity. Like what, um, how do you go about helping a, a college campus like Judson grow in diversity? Well, that's a good question. First, we have to come to a common agreement on what do we mean by diversity? Hmm. And once that's defined and everyone is in agreement, then you can move forward yeah. and help attract the appropriate diversity that you're trying to seek. I think we talked a little bit off air about diversity being most people think it's relegated to just race and ethnicity and right. gender, but there there are other areas yep. that diversity must address at the college level too. And these are the same areas that actually uh God has created in us. There are unique things that God has created in us that really sets a, sets us apart but really holds us together as well. That's so right. we want to celebrate what those Differences are, and we want to celebrate how we can come together and unite and appreciate God's uniqueness. So how, how do you lead in that regard? I've been in the room a couple of times hearing you speak, and you've, you've even assigned uh, books and discussion questions. Yes. And it's something that I, I've admired about you for a while now. Just the, I think the posture and tone with which you lead is so important, especially around a conversation that sometimes can be as volatile uh, around like diversity, uh, yes, right? It mm-hmm. is. Yes, how, it is. Help paint a picture for people listening. Like, how do, how does he lead this office, and what are the ways that maybe you would challenge other people listening that have never even considered this before to take a step forward? Well, I think uh, whenever you talk about diversity, as you've already said, it's a controversial area, right. and it's a personal area, and it's an area where we can get really emotional mm. about, mm. Uh, particularly when you look at our past history and connecting civil rights and connecting gender issues and stuff like that, I think first thing that I want to do, or I attempt to do, is try to get you to know you as a person hmm. and try to develop some common languages around our experiences. So one way of doing that is really by reading books together that helps open us up yeah. to being transparent with one another. So, uh, and again, that also gets at how we define what diversity is, because when you and I talk, you know, we may not agree about some of our experiences that we've had or even how we define diversity. So getting at books that we can read together yeah, and then getting at if, you know, 
And I look at it from the standpoint of, of the Bible. You know, I have a Christian or biblical worldview. And even in that, as you know, there are various differences uh-huh. that exist in terms of how we define a Christian worldview. You know, Catholicism, um, Protestant, uh, I'm a Baptist, just so you know. <laughs> Cards on the table. And, and even at that, you know, I'm yeah. a Southern Baptist. Right. Because that's different than, obviously, American Baptist and yep. other Baptists in other areas. So trying to get at, getting to know who you are as a person trying to connect the dots with things that are in common, hmm. and then, you know, revealing ourselves through reading books. I think that really helps open you up. That's so that's great. one method that I attempt to use. It's yeah. a hard method because a lot of people nowadays don't like to read. <laughs> you know, just tell I me the story. The yeah, you know, yeah, tell right. me the story. Let me listen to it. Yeah. But yeah. reading really does help God to intervene. And I mm-hmm. have to rely on and not trying to, to get too deep here, I have to re- rely on the Spirit of God yep. and the individual, too, mm-hmm. to open him or her up and open me up. I'm yeah. learning. Right. You know, I'm still learning. Yeah. That's good. So uh, you not only have done this at Judson, but I'm reading here that you were on the Commission on Diversity and Inclusion uh, in, in all the Christian colleges and universities. So kind of looking at, at Christian colleges in general, I guess I would ask this question. As you've poured so much energy into this, are you hopeful? Do you, are you hopeful for where colleges are going, but even what you're seeing in this next generation? I, I am, and, and I'm being very um, considerate in what mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to say. I am hopeful. Okay. I'm very hopeful but. in the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. Interesting. And I see that we are more polarized today than we have been. Um, but obviously, that did not or does not catch God by surprise. Right. So in the CCCUs, Christian colleges and universities, and I served as a commissioner, and there were, and I was uh, put in, well, actually, I was asked to be a part of it by the president of the CCCU, which is uh, an honor to do so. And it was hmm. about eight or nine of us that represented different universities. Hmm. There are about maybe, well, I'd say maybe 150, 160 um, colleges and universities that are Christian focused or faith based focused. Hmm. There are those that are, uh, let's say, New York uh, and uh, Nyack College, which is mm-hmm. a great college. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's one of the most diverse uh, universities that exist. And then there's North Park University as well. Now, these are great universities. I've been there. I know they're, uh, the officers and individuals there. Uh, they're, they're in the most diverse zip code hmm. in the United States, obviously the Chicago area. Yeah. Uh, but how they define diversity is different than, let's say, Judson does. Right. So I'm hopeful in that I see the universities embrace different forms of diversity, have different strategies. But then there are some that choose to uh, not embrace it from a biblical standpoint. Right. They go beyond or outside the biblical standpoint. And mm. that causes me pause because that's not how we're not all, we're not all in, all in agreement on that, mm-hmm. but yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah. What a question. About. That, <laughs> that's fair. That's a perfect segue. So coming up next, I want to ask you a little bit about how do we actually embrace 
biblical diversity? What do we do at a time where we seem so polarized? Plus, uh, very recently, you just won an award that I want to ask you about. That's all coming up next with Dr. Salter here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrive and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web if you want to, but we are joined in studio for one more segment with Dr. Salter from Judson University, my alma mater, a school and community that I care deeply about. I think you're Amen. just doing a ton of incredible work there. So by wow, proxy, I'm just grateful for you, for your Thank heart. You, sir. you mentioned earlier, by the way, a couple of books. You mentioned actually reading being a really important yes, work right. of diversity. Yes, um, yes. For anyone listening that's maybe thinking, okay, I'm interested, but I don't, I don't know where to go from here. Are there some books that you'd recommend or websites or resources? There is. There is. So I'll recommend one that I have here. It's called Right Color, Wrong Culture. Mm. A Leadership Fable, and it's by Brian Loritz, Reverend Brian Loritz. The yeah. uh, reason I, I uh, recommend that book, we've used that as one of our uh, reading guides, and it, it uh, opens up some preconceptions that we may have about each other's culture. Right. And it deals with one aspect of, of diversity, obviously race and mm. ethnicity. Yeah. And the desire of almost all of us is uh, to become a multi-ethnic, a multi-racial church. Hmm. And I think it obviously goes back to a statement that MLK uh, made in terms of Sunday being the most segregated hour. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah. we're trying to break that down. So right. he, he does an excellent job at doing that. Right color, wrong culture, a leadership fable, Brian Loritz. Yeah, hmm. that's great. Uh, you got me thinking there. When we hear diversity, it, for me, it's 100% of the time about um, uh, ethnicity or what other things are you guys covering? Is this, is this gender? Is this uh, economics? What else falls under yes. your umbrella? Yes. Gender, economics comes in. Those that are physically challenged oh, interesting. Uh, comes in as well. Um, areas such as uh, um, economy comes in, intellectual diversity comes in as well. We have a mm. program at uh, Judson College, the RISE program. It deals with those that uh, have mental challenges and physical yeah. challenges as well. God uh, gifts us in different areas, and we try to respond to that in terms of a unique way. And education is a big equalizer yeah. in that. And I've seen it in my own life. 
in terms of economically, because I did not come from a wealthy family. Uh, I came from a poor family, but I didn't know that until somebody told me I was poor. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? um, we had a great lifestyle, but education became a great equalizer. So I'm a proponent for books. So uh, the other book I did bring, and this is in reference to this being a time that we celebrate uh, African-Americans, black Americans, black Caribbeans. Mm-hmm. And it's called the uh, Miseducation, and I know this word is a little controversial now, of the Negro. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is done by Carter Woodson, because he's the one that really created uh, black history observation. Hmm. So, so I think Carter Woodson, uh, The Miseducation of Negro, is an important book yeah. from a historical standpoint. Okay. So uh, I want to mention two things. And you're such a humble guy. I, I knew that you wouldn't <laughs> reference them yourself. No. So I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, so you received the 35th annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award from the city of Elgin uh, just in January for your diversity and inclusion efforts, which... Bravo! That's a that's a massive deal. Well, yeah, praise God, uh, praise God, and 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 the, the, that award represents a community, not just me. I appreciate that, and the fact that uh, I was empowered by our president to be in the position I am uh, means a whole lot. Hmm. But um, there's just so much work that needs to be done, right? And I don't want this to be seen as a, a time that we stop, mm. right? Right? And we say, okay. We've done we ABC. It. Right. No, no. That's why I'm a little little hesitant. Yeah. And, but I say thank you. Yeah. But I'm a little hesitant in, in uh, receiving the honors that you've given me. Which so, is what you makes you the perfect person, I think, well, to get honors. Like, that's just me. That's just, I, you know, I'm biased. But uh, personally, I, I think that posture, one, of it being a team effort, and two, being we have a long way to go, is really, really important. You also, though, you published a book back in 2004 called First Fruits of the Fall. It's a book of poetry, <laughs> uh, and the themes are diversity, spirituality, and architecture. Yes. And I've actually heard some of your poetry, and it's phenomenal. Mm. The question I want to ask is, what role does poetry and artistry have in the work that you're doing? Well, it has a, has a major role. So the work of the Holy Spirit is one of creativity. That's right. And I believe that the arts exist, allow us to express that unique relationship we have with God. Mm. And God's gifting back to us is in the area of art, because I'm biased, in the area of arts. Mm. Okay. So my um, introduction into architecture is actually because I could draw and sketch. And my Mm. parents saw that Mm. in me, and I knew that was a gift or talent that I had to perfect, but it didn't necessarily come from me. Okay, it came to me by God because uh, it was something natural. And it's a different way of seeing the world, too. So art and poetry. So I love words, hmm. you know, the imagery that words give. And poetry allows you to extend that to words. To the, hmm. So it's the art of words that can really move people as well. Hmm. And I think the Bible is a good example of that hmm. when you read you know, certain uh, books of the Bible, obviously Psalms. Yeah, right. Uh, but there are other books of the Bible that are very poetic in yeah. nature. That's good. Yeah. I was reading here, I'm looking on the website, you are, it says here, a pastor and youth minister for Come As You Are Church. Is that in yes. Elgin? That's in tell Elgin. Us, tell us a little bit about that church, because it seems like trying to put into practice a lot of what you're doing uh, in your day job at Judson. So talk to us a little bit about that church. So Come As You Are Church is a relatively new church, and... 
I never thought I would be in the ministry in <laughs> reference to being an architect and, mm. and being an artist. But uh, the, the uh, pastor that I served there uh, saw, I guess, the gift that God had in me and in my wife and asked us to be a part of the church. Yeah. So come as you are really ministers to the homeless. Matter of fact, we take everyone in our church out for a meal I love that. every Sunday. I love, oh, well. that. I love Everybody that. Said, How do you do that? How do you, well, it's God, obviously. Yeah. It takes money mm-hmm. to do that, so God always has supplied us to do that. So we work with the homeless, mm. and we also minister to the, the senior citizens as well. Yeah. So at least um, two Sundays or two Saturdays a week, we're over at uh, Wayside Center. Awesome. Uh, we deal with wow. ads, so we help the homeless. Now, we recognize that that's a community that uh, sometimes gets neglected a lot yeah, right and a lot of churches you, you know don't cater to them and hmm. you know if god has called you to another type of ministry fine you do what god tells you to yeah, do yeah. but god has called us to do this yeah so this is what we're doing so the church is built on those so we you I know we that. have some interesting services <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it can be you know a little strange but they're all spiritual and dedicated to god i, so love, that. I love it all right so we got like a minute left and what i want to ask you is you know, we're we're a couple of days into Black History Month, and you had mentioned even just a couple of minutes ago how even receiving an award like the one that you did is received with hesitancy because there's so much still to do in in just the minute or so that we have left. Would you give a, a word of hope or a word of challenge to anyone listening mm-hmm. who uh, mm-hmm. maybe is encouraged mm-hmm. or even maybe frustrated by the conversation or anywhere in between? What what word of hope or challenge yeah. would you give to them? Well, obviously, I have to go back to the Bible because the Bible gives us um, uh, much hope throughout the Bible. Yeah. And I'll give it through uh, one of my favorite scriptures, which is familiar with a lot of people, Proverbs, third chapter, fourth, fifth, sixth verse. <laughs> Trust in the Lord, lean not mm-hmm. to thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, man. Dr. Salter, thank you so much for thank taking the you. time, for sharing with us your wisdom. One of our very few uh, return guests, by the way. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked me to come back. <laughs> I think you got a hat trick in you. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Thank you so much for well, you and the work you. you do, man. I appreciate God it very much. You. God bless both of you. Likewise. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good on the Mondayest of Mondays. Well, that's not totally true. The sun was shining. 55 degrees yesterday. I mean, that was that was a day. I walked my dog, and there were dogs everywhere. Everyone was out of their house. Did people seem, like, genuinely happier at they church? Didn't. Oh, at church? You yeah, said I did I before I even finished my question. I though. don't know if that was because of the sun or because we had cake at the end of church yesterday. So. Had, why did you have cake at the end of church? Yeah, so the, the first week in February is always our church birthday. Is it a birthday or anniversary? We argue this every year. But it's uh, <laughs> yesterday our church turned 10, and since the year one on the first weekend in February, we bring in a bunch of Costco cakes and eat them. So I don't know if people are happy for that, the sun, a mix of both, but there was a, there was a joyousness at church yesterday That's for sure. That's not a bad tradition. Do you know Dimitri Martin, the comedian? I feel I like I've already said this before. I do not. This feels like Groundhog's Day, ironically. His, uh, he's got a bunch of one-offs, and he said, uh, how long has the word anniversary been around? That feels like something we should be keeping track of. <laughs> 
<laughs> and celebrating it. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Should it be a birthday or an anniversary? Yeah, this happens every year with the church <clears throat> because we're like, oh, it's our birthday. It's supposed to be like, happy anniversary. I'm like, which is it? I don't know. <laughs> Those are the types of heated debates you're having yes, at Four Corners they Community are. Church they in are. Darien, Illinois. We are, we are tearing it up. <laughs> Some people dive into theology. We're like, let's see over our cake. Let's go anniversary or birthday. Wait, was this 10 years? 10 years. We're a decade old, man. That's a big one. It was. It 10 is. years is which element? Silver? Paper? Gold? I have absolutely no idea. That's a good question. So you, can, you can tell what I didn't get my wife on our 10-year anniversary. <laughs> She's listening right now just yelling yep. into the radio. She's like, if it's if it's just card, then you did it right. <laughs> well, you had a big, you know. I nailed 20. Anniversary. Yes. All right. Okay. So, um. But yes, it was a big day at the church, and everyone did seem extra joyous, and I stood outside and shook hands. It felt, felt nice and warm out yesterday. Do you not normally shake hands? I do, but usually I, when it's like bitter winter cold, I don't stand outside oh, and do it. Like this even one I even met with this coronavirus, you're out shaking hands, huh? I'm, I'm probably the guy that makes people uncomfortable because I'm total... <laughs> Not uncomfortable in a bad way, but I'm like handshake oh, okay. hugger guy. Like a lot of times people are like, I have a cold. Like, give me their fist. I'm like, right, whatever. Right. right. Yeah, I, I preached in a hazmat suit, so I was fully, fully contained, which was uh, uncomfortable. But the kids thought it was really funny. It's <laughs> like that scene in Back to the Future where he's trying to. So did you see? Now we've got to joking about the virus already. Because oh, did you boy. see that? Uh, by the way, ten years is aluminum. Just looked it up. Uh, <laughs> Did you know that, uh, <laughs> did you see the, uh, again, something that we never get right, meme or gif? I never get right. But what's the one that's not moving, the meme? Yes. Okay. There was a meme <laughs> going Memes around. can be gifts, though. There was, oh, don't, no, yeah. Nope, not going <laughs> right, there. Sorry, sorry. There was a meme of, like, a stack of, like, beer cans, and off to the side was a Corona, and, like, they were, like, I saw this. Away. But now. <laughs> I got to be honest, that made me laugh, but it did make me go, a little too soon, probably. Well, yeah, like, I mean, we, maybe we should talk about this later. There's, um, I mean, it's. A, a very serious threat in I mean, oh yes a, a lot of places uh, especially China yeah especially China right yeah, yeah yeah so maybe it's too soon but do you want to take a dive onto this one sure go for it all right here's the headline it's from uh, ChicagoUnheard.org white people here's why moving to a quote good school and a quote good neighborhood is racist so again. Uh, full disclosure, that's a little bit of a clickbait title, right, like I imagine. It. But um, I shared this with some friends, and I had a number of people say, "Yeah, this actually makes some pretty good points." This is why our family has decided to uh, to not homeschool or to not be a part of a Christian private school. They have serious convictions around that. Mm-hmm. We're not saying either or. I just thought it was an interesting topic. So, uh, do you want to give us a thirty thousand foot view, or should we just? Read it. Yeah. So it says, and so many people don't know what racism is or how they are racist. Here are three things that uh, that northern white liberals do. Again, I, that oh. feels like uh, they're talking actually about. Uh, it says northern white liberals who voted for Obama. That feels like a really uh, <laughs> a really, really specific, specific group of people. <laughs> uh, they said one engage in white flight. Hmm. Uh, when poor black people move close to white people, they flee and move. So a lot of painting with a broad brush here, but he brings up some things that probably hit close to home. Yeah, right. Two, live in high-income, racially segregated communities that are not accessible uh, to the poor. Or three, enroll their children in racially segregated, high-income schools that are not accessible to poor. Uh, And so uh, the point of the article feels like, uh, you might think you're not doing things that are that are growing that, that could be deemed racist. And but here are some of the more subtle ways that we do. And, you know, what? I especially read the headline I had a real hard time with the headline. But, you know, I, I suspect 
these are part these are certainly things that I don't necessarily feel qualified to speak on mm. and so we'll speak on it anyway right, uh, right. but uh, it's certainly food for thought and it sounds like you've had some good discussions with people around it yeah let me let me just read a little more because especially in light of what dr. Sardo was just saying and it being black history month is mm-hmm. you know I do want to intentionally lean in sometimes to topics that you know maybe we feel underqualified for right. or from perspectives that we've never thought of. So let me let me just read a little bit more. Um, one of the main ways that racism is enacted personally and uh, systematically uh, is through housing. We are all familiar with the whites only signs from the chapter in the social studies book that talks about civil rights. But today, just because a community no longer has a whites only sign up front doesn't mean that community allows black people to live there. I can hear my friends asking, Sharonda, are you really saying that me moving to a good neighborhood with good schools is more racist than being a member of the KKK? Well, yeah, that is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. obviously this is a this is a difficult topic, but just because your community doesn't have a no blacks allowed sign doesn't mean that you aren't living in a no blacks allowed community. Racism is about the actions or inactions that you take that hurt black folks and unfairly benefit white people. When it comes to economic inequality between black and white people, there are no bigger obstacles than housing and schools. In America, the housing you live in largely determines your access to schools. The history of racist uh what is that? Oh, racist redlining and housing continues to determine opportunity for children today, whether it be in health effects due to higher temperatures and fewer trees and once redlined neighborhoods or lower test scores and fewer academic opportunities in low income schools. And so this is how the article sort of challenges. The headline is how, here's how to be anti-racist no matter where you live. So if you really want to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., instead of being nice to a black person, work in your community and school to remove the no blacks allowed barriers. What does that look like? It means ending the practice of residential. Residency checks in suburban districts, which are used more often against low-income people of color. It's time to stop criminalizing people, often black mothers, who are seeking better opportunities for their children. It means supporting cross-district enrollment so that students who want to attend schools outside their neighborhood can do so. Take METCO, which allows Boston students to voluntarily transfer to surrounding predominantly white school districts. Research shows METCO has boosted high school graduation and college enrollment for participating Boston students of color 30% higher than the rates achieved by Boston students in traditional public and charter schools. So again, having just sort of admitted this is not necessarily a conversation <laughs> yeah. uh, you're maybe comfortable with or have had before. Uh, it's what do you an think? interesting what do you think topic because, um, because one, as a parent, it, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, one of the takeaways for me is like, I, if I could speak to this author, I'd just be like, well, what do you want me to do with my children particularly? Right. Uh, so that would be one because, uh, you know, I want to give my kids... You know, the best of everything Uh, Two, I would be really interesting to have somebody who's really smart to uh, help me learn more about this cross district transferring, because it seems like uh, a that would how how do you how do you choose like like the school in our neighborhood? It's a certain size. Right. And so it's a very local school. You got to live in that community. Uh, And and if people if if there's more and more kids coming, then how do you figure that out? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It actually sounds really interesting. I don't know how you regulate that, though, and like be like, well, this one, who do you choose gets to go to this school versus that school if it's in your neighborhood? I'm again, I'm just more naive to it than not. Uh, This is pretty uh, maybe the point of the article is that it makes me uncomfortable as I read it. Like maybe that was her point a little bit yeah. Uh, because some of it's like, gosh, like, okay, that's worse than a cake. Me being in the KKK like that. That's a, that feels like a crazy statement to me, but Mm. I'm thinking that's the point. 
Well, we maybe this is a conversation uh, we can have later this month in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll just end with this because uh, it quotes and says a lot of people like to you know quote from Dr. King during this month, but will often not quote from a 1967 speech in which he observed the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. Mm-hmm. I would love to like put a pin in that and tackle that a little bit later because again the redistribution of political and economic power is not anything that you and I are I think well versed in no. but it's certainly something that I want to say okay I, I don't know that I've given that a whole enough thought and uh, I want to lean in a little bit more and I would and, say uh, for me really fast I don't give a lot of thought even to what what is best for the call I unashamedly say I often my thought is what is best for my children yeah. <laughs> what yeah. am I going to do for my family and my kids and I think one of the calls of this article is to think bigger than that yeah I agree uh, well coming up next I want to talk about Demi Lovato because she's been in the news a lot lately particularly around conversations regarding her faith and struggle uh, throughout the last few years we're going to talk about that coming up next and you're on the common good AM 1160 hope for your life Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church asked actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. In the second hour, we're going to talk Demi Lovato, the silent tragedy and how we're raising our children. Why is uh, America so angry? And we'll close the show like we always do with some interweb insanity. This is The Common Good. Welcome to Hour 2 of The Common Good. My name is still Ian Simpkins, joined as usually by Brian Fromm. I'm going to keep using that usually, if that's okay. <laughs> Until I'm here a couple weeks. <laughs> that's right. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, well, you can find us on Facebook if you want, The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Also, we're podcasted wherever it is you get podcasts. You can learn more at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And uh, a name that I've been seeing in the news a lot lately is Demi Lovato. And mm-hmm. she, uh, she sang a song, a really emotional emotional um pretty vulnerable song at the is at the grammys am i remembering yep. that correctly yep that was about some of her journey i mean i saw people posting that like as oh this is a modern day lament there's something very honest she she struggled to even really get through it and then at the uh the super bowl she you had mentioned did, did your kids watch the whole game by the way yeah like, they did last night did did that impact them at all the national the anthem oh. i think they both i don't know about impact but all my kids were like that was really good uh, they they sensed you know I I had a bad dad moment we 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 had lots of uh, sorry this is off the subject of Demi Lovato we did uh, 
Uh, I gave them each bowls of uh, M&M's, and we used them to bet throughout the game. So you could bet with each other with M&M's. <laughs> I don't think that's... It was fun. I'm joking that it was bad. And the, <laughs> the first bet was uh, was the over-under of two minutes on the National Anthem. And so they were more into the timing of the National Anthem than they were the actual National Anthem. So you were finding any reason to bet all game long. Yeah. <laughs> flipping, flipping the coin is going to be heads or tails. It kind of petered out by after halftime. But, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but she was under two minutes. But anyway, but everyone, my kids and my wife and I were all like, well, that was really good. Like, it was a pretty straightforward National Anthem where she sung... Uh, she just has such a gorgeous voice, and yeah. so it was. It really was beautiful. Well, so uh, the reason I've been seeing her a lot, at least in like Christian streams, is that she's been talking a good deal about her relationship with God. And she did an interview uh, last week with Zane Lowe on Apple Music Beats One when uh, she talked a little bit about how God has helped her through her most difficult seasons of life. Here's what she said. Um, When I'm going through a rough time, I look toward the future for hope to change perspective on things. When I go through something difficult, I stop and think, why is God putting me through this? Sometimes it doesn't make sense in that moment, which is a a fairly wise perspective, I think, to be honest. And it's a topic that you and I have talked a good deal about. But for whatever reason, when there's superstars that have that kind of wherewithal, uh, there is some gravity to it. And people, you know, People end up talking about it, and I'd be curious to know, just even based on that small response, what what are kind of your feelings about some of our general posturing towards celebrities and when they talk about difficulty mm-hmm. or their faith? Why Could, does that resonate with us? Yeah, I think, um, hmm, for one, uh, when you hear a celebrity talk about their struggles, a lot of times we I forget that they ever have struggles, right? Even though we see them and they're kind of out there, you're kind of like... Uh, well, you've got, you know, you got all the money you could want. You got a fame. You've got a claim. You've got you've got the things that a lot of us are searching for. Uh, and so to hear even somebody of the um, of a nature of a celebrity within our culture uh, acknowledge their need and longing for something greater and something more. I know last week you used that Jim Carrey quote uh, about hoping everybody gets all their dreams or all the yeah, money they right. could because then they'll realize that, you know, something's still missing. Yeah. Um, I think he literally said it's not the answer. Yeah. yeah. And so and so to hear someone like Demi Lovato and I know we know all too well that a lot of the celebrities really struggle with things. But uh, to hear her acknowledge like there is a there is something missing that that really in her searching uh, that it feels like only God could really answer or or be the solutions, the wrong word. But maybe answer is just the right word that only God could uh, could fill is, I think becomes even more confirmation for the things we read in scripture about uh, the longings we all have and where true life is found. And, and, you know, uh, she said that she was baptized in the Jordan river last year. And uh, she said, I've never felt such a sense of spirituality or connection to God, something I've been missing for a few years now. Mm. Uh, I've never felt more renewed in my life. I think those are words we use from pulpits and stages, that to hear somebody, especially somebody that a lot of us know and see on our TVs or whatever, acknowledge that, I think, yeah. is interesting. Well, yeah, and I want to read some of the lyrics, too, from the song that she sang at the Grammys called, uh, what is it called? Anyone, right? Uh, so here are part of the lyrics. She said, I tried to talk to my piano. I tried to talk to my guitar, talk to my imagination, com- uh, confided in alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more, told secrets till my voice was sore, mm. tired of empty conversations because no one hears me anymore. Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Oh, anyone, please send me anyone. Oh, Lord, is there anyone? Mm. Which you can see why somebody would hear that or read that and think, oh, that feels like a modern day lament. Yeah. And part of what I appreciate about it is because, I mean, it's not new for artists to write sad songs, mm-hmm. but to 
to cry out to God in the midst of unthinkable tragedy or heartache or sorrow um, outside of really the country music genre. We, we <laughs> yes. don't see that much of that. And I, I don't know. There's something refreshing. I mean, even just seeing at the Grammys, her struggle to really get through the song was like, oh, this is this is clearly striking a chord, which, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into the business of critiquing art because that's not really mm-hmm. our job or a qualification. But there is something about what when when honest, transparent, vulnerable yeah. art really does resonate, it is sort of this great universal that like you don't have to like Demi Lovato or the Grammys or the National Anthem or the Super Bowl or any of that to see her performance or to hear her lyrics or her story and go, OK, there's something at a human level that that is connecting with, even if I don't buy into your you know religious persuasion, which I find interesting that some that somebody that we don't know at all through a song could actually impact us. Yeah. And I'm curious if you, does that have any implications for ministry or preaching or, you know, for maybe just the average person who doesn't necessarily have a platform like Demi? Right. Um, how would you instruct them? How would you coach them? For me, it becomes like you said, this kind of modern day lament. And, uh, there is that sense of to, to be able to link to a song like this and hear somebody sing, you know, no one hears me kind of this calling out. There's so many of us out there who are going, that's how I feel. Like that's how I feel in my soul. And so there's almost to hear a song like this, there becomes affirmation of like your own feelings of, okay, you know what? Sometimes I'm out there just praying. Is anybody noticing me? Is anybody listening to me? Is anybody out there? Uh, And to hear someone like Demi Lovato, then sing it. I think that's the beauty of art and music is that, is that then you can it becomes affirmation of what you may be feeling out there. And Hmm. so, uh, you know, I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. Right. Tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore. I think it's something that within our culture, um, I think that and and then as pastors and as Christ followers, I think uh, this gives a lane to be like, hey, let me tell you about how Jesus answers this question. Yeah. uh, How he is uh, not just an answer. He's the answer. And let me tell you about that hope. Uh, I think she's putting a finger on what a lot of people uh, are struggling with out there. Well, and the other thing, too, that's interesting about the Grammy performance is that this this comes after an almost like two year hiatus yeah. where she's in other interviews talked about her real struggle with substance abuse and loneliness. And again, not necessarily being like a big Demi Lovato fan. Mm-hmm. I like I had, I didn't know that she wasn't singing or performing for those two I years. Either. So that sometimes I think is the difficulty that people feel like, well, I don't there's not all this press you know if i were to like quit my job for two years or to become a hermit for two years there's something though about the seriousness of what Mm -hmm. she was walking through which like you were saying i think should give us some level of comfort because she talks about in this and other interviews i mean i was chasing after i was seeking god in all these other places Mm -hmm. i i can relate to that maybe you've been seasons like that or maybe you're listening or driving or whatever you're thinking yeah, I think I'm I'm pursuing, and maybe it's not substance abuse. Maybe it's something that on the surface looks really good, right? Yeah. You're, you're putting the expectation of God on your spouse yeah. or your kids or your financial security or your career success. And a lot of those things will satisfy for a while, but yeah. eventually they, they crumble, right? And that's, that is the point of, uh, like you said, so many of us, we, we all 
fill our needs with with whatever it is. Alcohol abuse and drug abuse might be the headliner, uh, but she was searching for something, something tangible. Uh, and, and we all are doing that, right? For some, it's money. For some, it's, uh, like you said, a claim or accomplishment. For others, it's drugs and alcohol, whatever it right, is. Right. Uh, and this is a, a, a walking example of what we all preach all the time about uh, our need for Jesus and that only he can fill this void that we're all searching for. And so, again, it's it's an open door. It's, it's a window uh, into how the gospel is still good news within our culture as well. That's good, man. All right, well, coming up next, here's the headline, uh, A Silent Tragedy in How We Are Raising Our Children. We're going to talk about this very interesting article coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place. Just Google us. But uh, I, I do want to say thank you to anyone that listens to the podcast mm-hmm. and any interaction there actually does help us out. I'm talking rates. I'm talking subscriptions. I'm talking reviews and hitting that little share button. All of that. All of that does actually... What is John doing? Is he doing a Queen Elizabeth wave? What is that? Right. What are you doing over there? You there were two hands. Opening like a book, meaning I need you to read something. Oh, but, you want uh, me to read something? Oh, that is. I honestly just saw one hand, and oh, I saw you the profile. I'm sorry. That is. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is. Uh, that is inside baseball producer host talk right there. My goodness. All right, should I read it right now, John? Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. He's nodding yes because somebody else is now talking to him. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dan Ehrman. Jeez, Louise, distracting our producer from the. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So here we go. The Global Leadership Network invites you to inspire your continued leadership growth at the GLS Next Event Series coming up next Thursday, February 4th, which I think is, no, Tuesday. Next Tuesday, yes. I can read. February 4th with fresh. Actionable insights for your leadership journey. Hearing from Nona Jones, Facebook's head of global faith-based partnerships, and Jason Dorsey, a prolific speaker and researcher on Gen Z and millennials. GLS Next is hosted by Danielle Strickland and will be held in South Barrington starting at 2 p.m. next Tuesday. Get your tickets today at globalleadership.org slash events. That's globalleadership.org slash events. Every time you read Nona Jones, and everyone probably gets this wrong, I always think Nora Jones, the singer. Yeah. Every time. I'm, I'm sure, sure that person she's never heard that. Goes through that all the time. <laughs> She's like, you can just call me Elizabeth. (laughs) All right. So this is actually a pretty heavy article. And you and I are both parents uh, at very different stages. But this is a conversation that you and I have talked about uh, a number of times over the last year. The the headline reads, A Silent Tragedy and How We Are Raising Our Children. There's a silent tragedy that is unfolding today in our homes and uh, and concerns our most precious jewels, our children. Our children are in a devastating emotional state. In the last 15 years, researchers have given us increasingly alarming statistics on a sharp and steady increase in childhood mental illness that is now reaching epidemic Mm. proportions. So not to frighten anyone, but it is actually pretty startling. Why don't you share some of those statistics? Yeah, the stats here uh, say that one in five children have mental health problems. A f- one in five. One in five. That's a 43% increase in diagnosed ADHD. A 37% increase in adolescent depression has been noted. That's, a, that's wow. like the heaviest one right there. Uh, listen to this one. This one's hard. There has been a 200% increase in the suicide rate in children ages 10 to 14. Wow. Like, those are kids. Like, 10 to 14. That's wild. Like, I don't know. In my mind, there's a big difference, right, between an 11-year-old and a 17- or a 16-year-old. And, yeah, and right. that's just crazy. 
Uh, and so uh, before this author then gets into why this is happening, but I'm sure I'm sure those feel really heavy to you, right? Yeah, for sure. I, the, yeah, the depression one is, is a crazy. So uh, this author says today's children are being overstimulated and overgifted with material objects, but they are deprived of the fundamentals of a healthy childhood, such as listen to this list. Emotionally available parents, clearly defined limits, responsibilities, balanced nutrition, adequate sleep, uh, movement in general, but especially outdoors, creative play, social interaction, unstructured game opportunities and boredom uh, spaces. Instead, in recent years, children have been filled with digitally distracted parents, indulgent and permissive parents who let children set the rules, a sense of right of deserving everything without earning it or being responsible for obtaining it, inadequate sleep and unbalanced nutrition, a sedentary lifestyle, endless stimulation, technological nannies, technological nannies. I've never heard that. Instant gratification and absence of boring moments like that really paints yeah. a troubling picture that feels accurate to me yeah i i like i want to make sure that we create time for this because so far we've just identified the problem so right. uh yeah, they're going to get to the solutions and i did a little bit of pre-research just to make sure that these stats are in the right ballpark uh they are now mm-hmm. not everyone agrees necessarily on the specifics or even um the cause necessarily so feel free to anyone listening push back leaves a comment um i'd love to know what you think but the uh, the author goes on to say okay so what to do If we want our children to be happy and healthy individuals, we have to wake up and get back to basics. It's still possible. Many families see immediate improvements after weeks of implementing the following recommendations. So, and I will just add the caveat. This isn't like a quote unquote Christian article. Nope. nope. So my highest aim isn't for my kid to be happy all the time. That's not realistic. So someone listening that's like banging some theological drum is (laughs) maybe thinking, well, that's not our goal as parents. I I would agree. So here's some of the recommendations. Um, Set limits and remember that you are the captain of the ship. Your children will feel more confident knowing that you have control of the helm. I actually remember doing an article a few months ago when we're talking about kids in the middle of tantrums, mm-hmm. this idea of like mm-hmm. being the captain in the midst of their storm, yep. um, offer children a balanced lifestyle full of what children need, not just what they want. Uh, provide nutritious food and limit junk food. That's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Spend at least one hour a day outdoors doing activities such as cycling, walking, fishing. That's an, that's a great idea unless it's forty below, uh, <laughs> which is difficult. I dealt, totally. That's really hard I to do. dealt with a child uh, within the last couple of weeks who uh, who was really struggling with boredom. Like I want to go play, but it was like you right. said, just freezing outside. And you're like, I don't know how to help you in this moment. We got to get really totally, creative. Totally uh, enjoy a daily family dinner without smartphones or. Just Distracting technology, play board games as a family, mm-hmm. involve your children in some homework or household chores according to their age, implement a consistent sleep routine. Gosh, I'm not even doing that. Uh, teach responsibility and independence. Do not overprotect them against all frustrations or mistakes. That's really good. Do not carry your children's backpack. It's a wild one. Do not carry the homework they forgot. Do not peel bananas or peel oranges if they can do it on their own. Instead of giving them the fish, teach them to fish. Huh. Teach them to wait and delay gratification. We've done. We've been doing this with Owen, who's only two. Where my wife will, if he's being kind of whining, she's like, "Are we waiting?" <laughs> and he's like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, now that we've identified that, yeah. we need you to wait." Uh, provide opportunities for boredom, since boredom is the moment when creativity awakens. Do not feel responsible for always keeping children entertained. Do not use technology as a cure for boredom, nor offer it uh, at the first second of inactivity. Avoid using uh, technology during meals. Help them create a bottle of 
boredom with activity ideas when they are bored. I like that. Be emotionally available to connect with children and teach them self-regulation and social skills. Didn't we just last week talk about Mm -hmm. the average FaceTime? Five hours a week. Five hours a week. That's what it was. That's crazy. Turn off the phone at uh, at night when children have to go to bed to avoid digital distractions. Become a regulator or emotional trainer for your children. Teach them to recognize and manage their own frustrations and anger. Teach them to greet, to take turns, to share without running out of anything, to say thank you and please, to acknowledge the error and apologize. Be a model of all those values. And then connect emotionally. Smile, hug, kiss, tickle, read, dance, jump, play, or crawl with them. So it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know if you're reading that thinking, I'm doing pretty good, actually. <laughs> or do you hear that list and you're like, holy cow, I have I have some improvements to make. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I think you could really sum up a lot of that. Like, what's kind of the common theme? It is, like, be the parent. Yeah, right. Be present. Right. Like, they're your kids. Um and so, yeah, some of those are really challenging because what easier thing is there to do at the end of a long day <laughs> than for everyone just to plop down on the couch and get their phones out? Right. And that's not always a bad thing. Right. Uh, what easier way to, to do a road trip than to like, I mean, when we're in the car for like hours, it's as much technology as you can find. Yeah, right. Uh, the, like, you know, you could do experiences with your kids, which are great. But but what also is this is a part of is the day to day rhythms, right? Like so, everything from giving them choice. The really hard one for me is like encourage times of boredom. I'm like boredom is like the huge red flag for me. <laughs> like so you're, so, you're not necessarily good at boredom yourself, is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, oh my gosh, they're bored. Let's let's do something. And so, but I <laughs> we do, almost have to fix it. We yeah. Bored with something to like overcome. Yeah. So I think that the uh, the common theme here is like parent your kids, be present, be thoughtful, uh, engage with them. I mean, I love the last one. It's like play. Read, right. interact. That's be the hard part in our day to day running crazy. And I think if you can just engage with your kids, you're going to do the parenting thing well. You're going to mess some things up, right. but you're going to in the end, your kids are going to love you. You're going to be have a, an important uh, role in their life. Obviously, which again, easier said than done. Like we, you know, it was nice yesterday, and my boy wanted to go for a walk. We haven't yep. been able to go for an outdoor walk in a while, and so it was just he and him. He and him. <laughs> you let him out by himself. <laughs> and if you've seen him, no. Uh, and we were walking for a while, and I was amazed at how quickly I was tempted to like pull out my phone. Yeah. Like, I'm just going for like a lovely, the sun's yes. shining for the first time in 40 years, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm just, me and my boy, yep. like, oh, I wonder what's going on on Facebook. Like, Fighting that urge even as the, the adult can be really I hard. I do that all the time, and it's the it's the it's the unimportant things, right? Like, oh, let me quickly hit Facebook. Let me right, hit Twitter, and you're right. like, I get it. Like, nothing's Not changed essential. in the last five minutes, right? All right, coming up next in an angry America, a new remedy emerges, and that remedy might surprise you. We're going to talk about this article coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. Brian Fromm, name that band. Modest Mouse. <laughs> Am I right? Yes, you're right. Nice. <laughs> Yay me. Oh, it took, <laughs> took only 13 months. That's, I'll get it wrong next time too, but I feel good about that no, one. No, I, uh, I think you're on a roll now. I'll try well, to get in a year from except here. that if you say anything... You know that every time you ask that question, unless it's like Bon Jovi or Bruce Springsteen or someone, I'm going to guess Modest Mouse. Okay, so you... Hold on, let's come back to this. <laughs> He said, unless it's Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, or someone like that. Yeah. Who else lives in that ellipses of yours? Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. All the bees. Okay. Keep going. From the East Coast. Uh... Well, then I do. No, I have a much more eclectic uh, listening habits than I think you probably think. 
Like I just got an XM Sirius radio, you, whatever. You've for, that in my face before. And, yeah. uh, for Christmas. Uh, and uh, like the lithium channel, which is like all 90s grunge because mm-hmm. it's like right in my wheelhouse of high school. I listen to that all the time. Who are some of your favorite grunge artists? Oh, like I will enjoy a good Pearl Jam or Nirvana. Like I, I will. <laughs> How dare you say Pearl Jam before Nirvana? You <laughs> get that. You get that order correct. I was uh, I was helping my son the other day understand the importance of the uh, song "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Mm-hmm. Like we were having that discussion. So First no, song I ever learned on the drums. Is it really? That's the song. And so I was. That was right when I was in high school. And so yeah. it feels like the, the I'll go. That's like my child. I listen. There's also a station called '90s at Nine. Very enjoyable. <laughs> so. Yes. Are they sponsors of the show? We no, no. <laughs> but then the Billy Joel channel, that, is, uh, that, that, one, is, that one is a good one, too. Uh, we have talked about that before. Going back to old Christian songs, though, I was not surprisingly, this happened to Chick-fil-A the other day. And uh, have you ever noticed at Chick-fil-A when you like go into the bathroom or something where you can hear the music? It's just old like uh, Christian songs that we grew up in, but with no words. Yeah, that's the whole building. That's how often. I, you just can't hear it. So I went in, and all of a sudden, I'm in the bathroom like... That's Shine by Newsboys, but like instrumental. <laughs> I'm just imagining someone washing their hands and then from the stall, you're like, make them wonder what you got. Make them wish today we're not on the outside looking. I'm back at Junior. I'm like, yes. <laughs> shine. <laughs> yeah, that is uncomfortable. This uh, took a real turn. It was I, really I was funny. Though, to get us left. to anger to set up this, uh, this article. <laughs> is there something we can get angry about? Uh, grunge music. Uh, the oh, whole point was to make you angry. True. Oh, Sorry, John's giving me the hand signal that I have to... <laughs> Speaking of anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Perfect transition. Again, my vision's so bad. He's doing... I'm going to try and describe this uh, via words. Yes. He's trying to make the motion of two hands, like opening a book. Yes. But it just looks like one weird curved hand <laughs> doing like a Queen Elizabeth wave. But like, like the backwards way. What is happening to John in the booth? Someone go check on him because he doesn't seem like he's okay. All right. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you, yes, you, with mm-hmm. a complimentary. Did you get that? Complimentary, <laughs> yes. You've been practicing Compliment- all week. I have, yep. Complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. Plus, everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. I will... Oh. <laughs> Still so weird every time. <laughs> Who's the money for? I do also want to say, I, d- <laughs> I don't know that the point of the Sermon on the Mount was to be motivational. I don't but think it can still provide it still motivation. Can. It still can. I just think it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back to that. Okay. I don't think we will. Speaking of anger, <laughs> here's the, I teased it up a little bit earlier. In an angry America, a new remedy emerges, and that is compassion. Hmm. Why don't you tell us what's going on here? Uh, yeah, so it says defined as the ability to notice suffering. They're talking about suffering in the beginning part of here. Uh, as the head of a big city's hospital emergency department, this person, Susan O'Mara, uh, is the one talking here. She says, defined as the ability to notice suffering in ourselves and others, and then the desire to take action to alleviate it. Compassion has become the buzzword for an angry nation. It is increasingly being held up by neuroscientists, corporations, business schools, and psychologists as a concrete, powerful health strategy Mm. and a successful 
uh, business model. Experts say this shift is the result of new research showing compassion's impact, as well as an urgent desire to to addressing rising rates of depression and anxiety among young people and a steep climb of rates uh, of suicide among all ages. The idea that it's good to be compassionate to yourself or someone else is obviously not new, but these uber-studied emerging methods are very deliberate, part of a generation of neuroscience and genetic research into how the brain and body interact and how relations with others have an impact on our health. The research looks at how compassion influences everything Hmm. from the length of your life to how much you contribute to your employer's bottom line. And so it's holding up. We all know that we live in a country. We often talk about it, that it's angry, that it's uh, that 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 it's uh, isolated. It's a net and actually holding up compassion, not just as the remedy for anger, but actually as the remedy uh, to your own health and all sorts of different things about your business and everything uh, that the answer is compassion. I think that is interesting. It goes on to say a group at the University of Helsinki studying compassion at work asks employers to run through a checklist about their employees. Am I showing interest, understanding, respect, fairness, offering the person a sense of control? The focus on compassion comes more than a decade after the explosion in the U.S. of mindfulness practices focused on attention, awareness, and breathing. Health experts say compassion is the next phase, kind of a mindfulness 2.0. Mm-hmm. Stanford University neurosurgery professor James Doty, uh, whose 2016 best-selling memoir about compassion became the subject of a hit Korean pop song, said the compassion center he runs was the only one of its kind when it opened 12 years ago. Now, he said, he has research uh, collaborations worldwide. Millions of dollars are being given to support this research. Compassion is no longer Hmm. a soft science. In fact, later in the article, it says nearly 100,000 people signed up for a 10-day online compassion challenge uh, launched this month by popular Washington area meditation and mindfulness author and teacher Tara Bratch. Which I think is interesting because um, compassion does tend to get sort of lumped into the soft skills, soft sciences category. It's like, yeah, if you have the bandwidth, be compassion. But it's really ultimately about the bottom line or climbing the rung or throwing an elbow. And I'm wondering, one, are you surprised by any of this? Two, um, what are the potential results of like a quote-unquote trend of compassion. Yeah, I am a little surprised about the link. I'd never considered that there'd be a link between uh, an increase in, in compassion and the bottom line of a business or right, right. anything like that. Like, obviously, in dealing with the anger of our culture, loneliness of our culture, uh, things that people are dealing with, compassion goes a long way towards addressing those. But when you start talking about your own health, like if you, Ian, become a more compassionate person, it's going to have a, a positive effect on your own health. I wouldn't have known that. And, and then the, hey, if you're a boss and you could grow a compassionate culture within your company, that it's actually going to help your bottom line, I think, being able to monetize compassion that I never considered that as a, as an avenue. And listen to uh, Joan, uh, Joan Brown Campbell, a minister and interfaith activist who has been involved with pro-compassion campaigns for decades. Are there anti-compassion campaigns? Uh, <laughs> there are probably campaigns that are not compassionate. Good point. They might not call themselves anti-compassion. It's not yeah. great branding, but yeah, some <laughs> might see them as such. Uh, says compassion is a very hard word. Some see being compassionate as easygoing, not challenging. For many, compassion seems not risky enough. It's not Ooh. something you wake up and say, hmm, I think I'll be compassionate. Compassion, though, is a way of living in a diverse world. And I think that's a good point, though. It, that's often why it gets categorized as sort of a soft skill or soft science. Like, oh, 
compassion just means being like cool with the flow. And part of what the article is saying is, no, it needs to be less implicit and more explicit. What What are the ways that we can actively be engaging and bringing like real compassion into you know whatever environment yeah. we might live in? I think that's a pretty interesting challenge. And I guess it, one thing it says speaks to is that we're probably not naturally compassionate. Hmm. That we're having to work at it in this way, and there's having to need to be intentional uh, campaigns and intentional teaching. Probably speaks to the fact that that left to our own devices, we are not naturally compassionate people, which I do think we see all around us. Yeah, which again, there's probably plenty of people listening thinking I'm naturally compassionate, right? And maybe that's part of the takeaway. If you find that you are someone who is naturally inclined this way, um, help us get better. <laughs> yes, the rest of us maybe that aren't. Like I think that part of what we're finding, and this is really what I love too, because so much of what we're reading in this article sounds like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find that there is, there can be additional motivation. If you're skeptical of the way of Jesus or living like Jesus, being an apprentice or disciple of Jesus, um, but you find that there's actually like neuroscience to back up mm-hmm. the benefits, even if you're a type A bottom line kind of person, yes. part of what this article is asserting is that you will actually do better at your business. Your employees will be happier, healthier, if you actually take this into consideration. Let that be your motivation. I'm okay with that. And I think that that is, uh, at the very least, I'm challenged by it because I don't know that that always comes naturally for me. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we always do. Some interweb insanity stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. And uh, it never really disappoints, even though it always disappoints. And uh, that's how we're going to end the show here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, lads and ladies, that music can mean only one thing. It is the end of the show, but not quite yet. We're not there. We've been doing this for a while now, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. Till death do us part, the uh, interweb insanity is stories that our producers have found. They are printed and then placed face down on our mm-hmm. desk, so we have not seen them. There are sound effects that we can sometimes predict, but often not. We're getting better at it. At predicting them? Yes. A little bit. I feel like we crossed a threshold last week of one that you and I both were like, well, that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> there was that moment I can't last remember week. what it was, but I remember it being like, that for ooh, sure. Ooh, <laughs> there you go. Either way, that's the disclaimer. We've not seen them, read them, approved them in any way, shape, or form. I don't know that anyone has. And uh, Brian Fromm is going to kick us off. Oregon, uh, drunken driver flees traffic stop, hits another drunken driver. What are the odds? A drunken driver fled an overnight traffic stop in Portland and crashed into another drunken driver, seriously injuring her. Oh. Uh, Jacavis Pascal was jailed on suspicion of charges, including intoxicated driving. He had a blood alcohol content of 0.14, which is nearly twice the legal limit. Yeah, that's too much. Uh, Pascal hit uh, Margita Jefferson, who suffered serious injuries, but is expected to survive. Uh, She had a blood alcohol content of 0.12. An officer initially stopped Pascal. As the officer walked to Pascal, he drove away. The officer chose not to pursue. Police said other officers saw Pascal's 2007 Chevy Impala traveling at a high rate of speed, and he then crashed into Jefferson's 1993 Mercury Sable. Newsflash. You can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline airline pilots. pilots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've had that one a few times. Good. Um, Is that a sermon illustration? Probably. (laughs) If you had to preach on that story right now, what's the sermon? Don't be stupid. <laughs> Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. It, yeah, it's something about, you know, not acknowledging your sin, but fleeing, you know, just trying to hide oh, it. Oh, you going the fleeing route. Hide it. I'm going with hide it. Okay. The Bible does tell us to flee That's <laughs> in other places. <laughs> to f- 
Well, okay. So, Canada. Here we go. Police dog nabs break-in suspect attempting to hide in doghouse. A vehicle prowling uh, and home break-in suspect found himself literally in the doghouse prior to his arrest Friday morning. RCMP were called to a location Friday morning after residents were stirred awake by the sound of two people breaking into vehicles and into a home. Officers spotted the suspects as the pair sped away in a vehicle. The vehicle description was shared with the neighborhood. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The vehicle eventually stopped after running out of gas. Officers and RCMP police dog services responded to the area and apprehended one male on the scene. The second suspect, also a male of undisclosed age, was found hiding in a nearby doghouse. Investigators determined the fuel-less vehicle had been reported stolen out of Banff area mm-hmm. this month. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search yep. of every gas station, residence, oh, he says dog house warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house. There it was. Tommy Lee. Not bad. All right, Louisiana. Tommy, he was great in uh, The Fugitive. In uh, what's the, oh, the joke's done now. What's the band, the Tommy Lee? Oh, oh. <laughs> How come I can't think of the He's band? He's a drummer. Yes. John will help. Uh, Louisiana, man asks gym mates to borrow guns for robbery. Police in Louisiana have charged a man with drug possession after he approached two people in a gym parking lot and Motley asked Crew. to borrow their guns <laughs> to commit a robbery. Brian, the band's Motley Crew. Yes, it is. Uh, West Monroe police charged Landon Wayne Duke after two men flagged down an officer and informed him of Duke's comments. Duke had approached some men, whom he reportedly knew, in a Planet Fitness parking lot and noticed they had guns in their truck. Uh, the men told investigators Duke said he wanted to borrow the guns to rob someone of enough money to leave town. The men said no, entered the gym, and called the police. Look, bud, I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> you really don't like being interrupted when you're reading, do you? <laughs> I, I like, know how else you're not, It was you're not, Motley Crue. not yes. playing along at all. He's like, that I'm, bad. I'm that, reading this very serious. That is unimpressive that neither of us could come up with Tommy Lee and Motley Crue right yeah, there. That, I don't even loss. know why. This is what my brain does. It's like, tell this joke. And then the other part of my brain goes, but we don't know the name of the band. And but the keep first going. Part of my brain says, go for it anyway. <laughs> Too late now. It'll come to you. That's kind of my preaching in a nutshell. All right. Australia. Man riding horse stopped by police for using phone. Huh. A man using a mobile phone while horse riding has faced court because he didn't have a hands-free device fitted to the animal. <laughs> I don't know why I find this so funny. The man was riding along a rural road, traveling at an estimated speed of 10 kilometers an hour and holding a mobile phone to his ear when police stopped him. When he later had the matter dealt with in Mudgy, Mudgy local court, Magistrate David Day said under the road rules, under the road rules, a horse is a vehicle and he didn't have a hands-free device fitted to the horse. While the defendant's solicitor submitted that the matter was trivial, the 30-year-old man pleaded guilty to using a mobile phone while riding a horse because he concedes <laughs> that the horse was in motion. Who are you texting 50 times a day? IDK, my BFF Joe. Uh, that's unfortunate. That is funny. Last one, Nevada. Uh, costumed Minnie Mouse pummels v- Vegas security guard in wild beatdown. Oh, gosh. You don't see this on Disney+. Plus. No, you do not. A woman dressed as Minnie Mouse got into a wild bra- brawl on the Las Vegas Strip, caught on a now viral video. Minnie quickly lost her head, at least from her Disney costume, as she repeatedly threw haymakers at a red-headed woman wearing a jacket with security on the back. At least one of her wild punches hit her partner, Mickey Mouse, as he tried to intervene in the ferocious-looking attack seen in a video viewed more than 4.5 million times, uh, a man dressed as Goofy looked bemused as he watched on. 
uh, with Minnie yanking her opponent to the ground and pulling her hair as she continued to steady a steady series of MMA-style blows. Now, do we have a problem? <laughs> no, sir. No, meows. <laughs> Oh, that's good, because I thought we had a problem for a minute there. It's good. What was that for? I have no idea, but it fit perfectly. That feels like a family guy, but I don't... Is he going to weigh in? It's South Park. South Park. Oh, we probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, we'll edit that out later. Well, never a dull moment here on The Common Good. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Christians in power. We're going to talk about boomers and generational gaps and a whole lot of other things. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. Uh, My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and this is The Common Good. 